1 Kings chapter 17. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. It came to Elijah, the prophet. Go once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came into the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, would you bring me a little water so I can have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called him, bring me, please, a piece of bread. And as surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I just said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you've said, but first. Everyone say, but first. Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. But first, but first, let me talk from that subject. But first, but first. Father, I pray that you would speak now just clearly and powerfully, not only in the moments we share, but over this next week as we prepare to give in this miracle offering. I just thank you, Lord, that our ears are attentive and we want to hear from you. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said amen and amen and amen. So Elijah is in a drought. The woman is in a drought. Um, Zarephath is in a drought. The region is in a drought. And a drought is always, uh, always signifies the need for the miraculous because rain in the Bible is always considered a blessing. And so we have the very opposite of the blessing of God working. They need rain. They need resource. They, they need God to do something in their life. And today we're not in a physical drought, but you may have an area of your life. I'm, I think I'm preaching to probably everyone who says, I need, I need God to do something in my life. I need God to move in my life. I need God in some area of my life. I need the miracle working power of heaven in my life. I need his provision. Am I preaching to the right group of people? And this is what a miracle is. And we can believe God for miracles. Now, now I know that my, my ministry is focused on teaching and focused on principles. But never forget this. We believe in miracles. We believe that God can move in our lives. We believe that God can intervene in our lives. We believe that God can move mountains. We believe in physical healing. We believe in hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, divine direction, freedom from addiction, unexplainable favor. We believe that God can move in our lives. See, obedience is when we do what we can do. Wisdom is when we know what we should know, but a miracle is when God does what only he can do. And I want to open your heart and I want to build your faith to believe God for the miraculous. And here's, here's just what I want to tell you. Point number one, we are a part of God's story. 
Like you're a part of God's story. I don't know if you have ever heard this before, ever thought about this before, ever considered this before, but what, we are a part of God's story. That what God is going to do in the earth, he's going to do through us. You have a need, Elijah? There's a woman in Sodom. Woman, you have a need? There's a prophet on his way. What God does, he does through us. Man, we need the hand of God to move. We are the hands of the body of Christ. Jamin, we need to pray for a move of God in Las Vegas. We are the feet of the body of Christ. If God's not moving in our city, it's because we're on our butts. Is that too on our derriere? Amen. We're on our... Let me calm down just a little bit here. Because what God does, God does through his body. He does through his church. We are a part of God's story. Not just the preacher, not just the pastor, all of us together. Churches can reach cities when the pastor and the people take their call seriously. See, she needed the prophet to sustain her in famine, but he needed her partnership. It works together. Let me tell you what, how this works in the church. God has entrusted me and called me for whatever reason. I don't deserve it. I didn't ask for it. But God, for whatever reason, gave me a vision for this church. And I have to answer to God for that. And I have to provide the vision for City Light. But listen, you determine the speed of the vision. That's why there are churches that will own land for 20 years and never be able to do anything with it. There's churches that will be portable their whole existence, never being able to move into property and ever to buy land. Why? Because it takes not just the vision of the pastor, but it takes the speed. It takes your cooperation and together. You go, man, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. Absolutely. I didn't sign up for that. Neither did she. Did you notice that? God says, I've got a woman for you. She had no idea. You know the Holy Spirit tricks some of you into City Light Church? Y'all walked in here, I like it. It's like a little smaller and intimate. It's like, no, God's going to demand something of you in this church. Don't, don't let this little room fool you. We're a big church. We got a big vision. We want to make a big impact. We want to see a lot of people come to Christ. We want to we make a great change in our city. Romans 10, 15 says, how can they preach unless they are sent? It's a partnership. I cannot do everything God's called me to do without you. We cannot, we, we fed over 100 families this week, made sure they have everything they need for Thanksgiving. We can't do that without you. That, that's not any one of us doing that. That's all of us together making sure that the needs of our city are met and that the gospel is going up. 45 people, like I said last week, came to Christ. That happens because all of us. It happens because I preach, but it happens because you brought. So we reach Las Vegas together. Now notice this. The, 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 the Exodus chapter 35, Moses is receiving an offering for the tabernacle. This is the first physical space where God would meet with his people in the Bible. This is the first tabernacle, and eventually there would be a temple, and you could read about that in 1 Chronicles 29 and on and on. But this is that, this is that first place where God says, I'm going to meet with my people. There's going to be a place of meeting, the tabernacle. And look what Moses does. Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Time out. I thought it was for the tabernacle. It's 
for the tabernacle, but it's to the Lord. When you give, you give through City Light, but you give to Jesus. I have no power to bless you, but Jesus has a lot of power to bless you. And when you give, you give through us because of trust, relationship, vision, agreement, on and on. But when you give, the moment it leaves your hands, it goes into the hands of Jesus. You give through us because we're in agreement, but you give to God. God calls it a sacred offering to himself. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. Now, as soon as he says that, some people in that, in that room are going, well, I don't have any gold, I don't have any silver, I don't have any bronze. How about this? Do you have any blue? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Do you got any purple? you got any scarlet? Do you got some clothing you could donate? Look, God's saying no matter your financial level, whether you're going to give $100,000 this week or you're going to give $100 or you're going to give a dollar, you're going to give a million dollars. I don't know how you roll. I don't have access to any of your bank accounts. I don't know what you got. Here's the point. Whether you're giving gold or cloth, whether you're giving six or seven figures or you're going to give a few dollars, it doesn't matter. God, here's what God's saying. I want everyone to get involved. Doesn't matter if, well, how much did you give? Well, how much did you, it's not about that. It's about everyone doing what they can do. Fine linen, goat hair, cloth. Look at this, all different levels of giving. How about oil? You got oil? You can do that. You got spices? You got some salt, pepper? Let's go. For the anointing oil. You got stones, gemstones for the, see, because they were going to take all that cloth and they were going to make the garments for the priest. In other words, here's what God's saying. He's just saying, Whatever you can, I'm not asking you to do something you can't do. Well, put it on the credit card and trust God. No, absolutely, no. But we all are to do what we can do. Just, Just think about this. Okay, verse 20. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. Look at that. Let me tell you what happened. He went, go home, pray about it, go think about it. Go talk to your spouse, go figure it out. They all went home. In other words, it wasn't a high-pressure offering. That's why we give you time. I started talking about this four weeks ago. It's a five-week process before we actually receive the offering that we say, you go talk to God. Go back to your tent. Amen. (laughs) Condo, apartment, house, whatever you got. You go home. You go figure this out. You, You go talk to God. Look, and all whose hearts were stirred, Now notice this, the whole community heard it, but only those whose hearts were stirred gave. So not everyone gives. But I'm praying that your heart is stirred. And and let me go a little further, because you're like, see, it's not for me. No, if you pray, God will stir your heart. Um, Because God's never going to tell you not to give, and the devil's never going to tell you to give. Anyway. It's just true. Man, I got this number, but man, I feel like maybe it's the devil. The devil's never going <laughs> to tell you to be generous, bro. Okay. Whose spirits were moved, came and brought their sacred offering to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle. Notice this. Needed for the tabernacle. That means the tabernacle, the church, has needs. God didn't have the need. The tabernacle had the need. God didn't have the need. The house of God had the need. God doesn't need your offering. We talked about that last week. But the house of God has needs. 
You just got to see that there is a difference here. For the performance of all the rituals, sacred garments, both men and women, all whose hearts were willing. Now, if we go to 36.6, so now jump a chapter. Here's what you're going to find out, Exodus 36.6. The people gave so much that they go to Moses and they go, tell him to stop giving. Turn up. This is a pastor's dream scripture. <laughs> we have enough. Stop bringing the sacred offerings. Y'all have given everything needed for the house of God. What if City Light could be a church where everything that was needed was covered? Because we all did our part. Whether you're on 40,000 a year, 40 million a year, I don't know. But we all do what we're called to do. And notice where the miracle was. It was in the tent. It was in the house. Talking about houses and miracles. They didn't go to Steve Wynn. They didn't call Elon Musk. They didn't go back to Pharaoh in Egypt. Everything that was needed for the tabernacle, the people had. Now, I know Elon has to dump some stocks. If he wants to give them here, come on, brother. So into the house of God. But we don't need outside to accomplish what God has called us to do. Well, if we could just get a couple of writers to come to our church, and if we could just get... You are so small thinking. If we would all just do what we're called to do. Every pastor in town is probably praying for raiders to come to their church. The miracle's in the house. Now, look, if you're a raider, I'm glad you're here. But we get into this small thinking. Well, if we could just get a couple of rich people that... That's not, that's not how the church is to function. We don't function off one person's big offering. We all do what God's called us to do. I'm just telling you. Because that small thing can get on me, but it can get on a whole congregation. If we could just get Mr. Hilton or something over there. He got the resort world now. If he could just come on over. Now look, if they come, that's cool, man. Great. I'd like a suite at the top of that hotel. I'd like to see the strip. But you just got to understand, we're not, we, don't, we don't do ministry that way. We, we call for every person in our church to go back to their tent and wrestle with God and get a word from God. We all do what God calls us to do. Number two, put God first. Put God first. I got I to wrap this up and I'm only in point two. Put God first. Look what she says. I'm going to eat this biscuit and die. Number one, she didn't know that. She didn't know that. She was in agreement with a satanic force that was trying to strip her of her hope. I'm going to eat this and die. You don't know that. But a lot of people, they, they end up living in hopelessness. What is hopelessness? Here's, here's my translation. Here's my definition of hopelessness. Yesterday was better and tomorrow will be worse. And a lot of you are there right now. And I'm so glad you're here. Because the God that we serve is the God of hope. And a lot of you have believed the lie of the devil. Yesterday was better, tomorrow will be worse. So I might as well just eat what I got and die. No, there's more for you. There's a future for you. It's on you and it's on your children and it's on your family. 
Every negative emotion you have about your future is not from God. If you have a negative emotion about tomorrow, you can know this is from the devil. Here's why. The devil doesn't know your future. Only God knows the beginning from the end. So the enemy will speak words of discouragement and hope you come into agreement with them just like this woman. See, when this woman gave, we're going to get there in a second, but she broke something in the spirit over her life. And many of you are in an unholy agreement with demons. I'm not calling you demon-possessed. I'm not even calling you oppressed. I'm saying you've believed the worst news. And it was her seed, it was her giving that was about to break that. And I'm telling you, for some of you, that this offering is going to break something over your life. I'm just telling you. No faith in the room for it? That's okay. I'll take yours too. I'm telling you, it will break something over your life. I'm excited about my future. And one of the reasons I'm excited about my future is because I know what's in the ground. I got seed in the ground. Therefore, I'm fired up about what I have for tomorrow. I'm not believing the worst about tomorrow. I'm believing for harvest tomorrow because of the seeds I've sown. Now, so she didn't know that. But that's what she was declaring. But I just want to tell you that God has good days for you. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Now, I know right now, look at this in, in context. Jeremiah 29, 11. They're in Babylon. They're in captivity. They're going to be there for 70 years. God says, I know the plans I have for you. I know that there's COVID right now. I know there's Delta and then Delta Plus and then probably Delta Diamond next. Oh, no, that's, a, that's an airplane joke. <laughs> Frequent flyer miles. And the next thing will be this, and the next, and I know inflation, I know everything, I know the plans I have for you. And, and here's what they are, they're plans to prosper you. I know you're in, I know you're in Babylon, plans to prosper you. I know we're in dark days, plans to prosper you. I know there's a lot of unknowns right now, plans to prosper you. I know there's a lot of fear going on right now, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So if it's not good now, God's not done. Come on, somebody. Put a praise on that right now. Come on, put an amen on that. If it's not good now, God's not done. And I'm not going to eat my seed and die. I'm going to sow it to ensure my future. Okay, I'm getting into next week's sermons. So I got to stop right now. He goes, he goes, he goes, cool, you're going to die? Okay, okay. But first. And he didn't ask for all of it. He just asked for the first. God doesn't ask for all, but he does ask for the first. I can't believe, you're, I can't believe God says to tithe. I can't, well, he, did, he could have asked for a hundred. He could have said, I'm God, you're not. Give me a hundred and go figure it out. He goes, I don't want it all. I just want what's first. I, I, I'm first. I don't want to eat all the oil and flour. God just says, but just trust me with the first. Now, notice this. Elijah did not say, bake a cake and cut it in three. There's no faith in that. He says, make mine first. And by the time you're done baking and by the time I start eating, 
you will go back to that oil jar and you will go back to that flower jar and they will be full again. Got to put them first. And I know this sounds insensitive. Like I would never do this. Preacher, ask a widow for her last meal. You want to talk about cancel culture? I'm done. I'm canceled. I would need private security the rest of my life. I would be. Come on, somebody. Well, cancel culture, like for 20 minutes, and then everyone will forget by tomorrow, but you get it. It would <laughs> it'd be like that. Listen, she didn't have a lot, but God doesn't need much. She just, just give God something. Give God something to put his hands on. Give God something to work with. What you have may not be enough. It may not feel like a, not a lot. The devil may be screaming that what you have is insignificant or that what you're going to give next week is insignificant. But placed in the hands of God, you're not enough becomes a curse breaker. Becomes a curse breaker for the next generation. She goes, I, this is all I got. I don't have anything. It sounds like the disciples. In John chapter 6, verse 9, um, Jesus looks out at a crowd of 20,000 people. He goes, hey, we should feed them. And Peter's faith rises. And he goes, well, well we, got, we got five loaves and two fish. And you, could Im- you can immediately see the tension. It's like every eye turn on him like, what are you? Because here's, here's the next line. But what good is that? Hey, guys, we should feed these people. We got some bread and fish. It's like if he would have just looked at Jesus, Jesus would have been like, you're getting it. But instead, he probably looked at Judas or Doubting Thomas. Or... <laughs> and so he goes, but I mean, but, you know, it's nothing. It is something if it's in the right hand. It's nothing in Peter's hands. It's nothing in Judas's hands. It's nothing in Matthew's hands. It's nothing in Bartholomew's hands. It's nothing in Thomas's hands. But if you will take that and you will put it in Jesus' hands, it will become more than enough. Say amen to this preaching. And, And by the way, lady, the biscuit you're about to make, it ain't enough anyway. How are you going to ask me to give? I make $50,000 a year. I make $40,000. How dare you ask with everything that's going on in our nation? It's not enough. So you could try to live on your not enough. Or you could give your not enough to Jesus. And you could watch him, number three, expect blessing. Expect blessing. Expect it. I'll tell you right now, this is the number one reason people leave our church. They, they leave because they cannot believe that I would tell them to expect God to bless them for their generosity. Wow. It's the number one reason. Right. They just, because they heard some weird thing on YouTube or they, or they saw something bad on Christian TV and they go, oh no, if you're like that, I don't want that. Well, we're not like that. But you, but you cannot escape, you cannot run from, you cannot deny 
what the word teaches. Her flour never ran out. Her oil never ran out. This is supernatural provision. This is supernatural blessing. The drought did not break yet. Watch this. The atmosphere over the region did not change yet. But she was well fed. I don't know what's going to happen to America. I don't know what's next. But we will be well fed. I'm not giving you false hope. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 15.10, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. Now, whether, whether you got a job or you're a stay-at-home mom or it don't matter, if you're working, blessed in all your work and in all that you undertake. Like, what do you do with that? Do you just ignore that? That's spiritual. It's not spiritual. It's in all your work and in all that you undertake. God says, I'm going to bless it. Proverbs 22, 9. Here's one. He who is generous will be blessed. I didn't say you're going to be a millionaire. I didn't say you're going to drive a a Rolls Royce. But you're going to be blessed. And you're going to know it. Like, how do you know you're blessed? You're going to be able to see it. Proverbs 11, 24. I'm just giving you the Bible. It doesn't sound very exciting to anybody in the room, but it, the world of the generous, the life of the generous, the mindset of the generous, the, 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 the house of the generous, the lifestyle of the generous, it's getting larger and larger. Literally in the Hebrew language, it's going up and up. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's getting wider and wider. Let me just testify really quick. Goldie had her birthday party last week. She's five years old and we invited some of the girls to the church from the church to, to be there that are around her age. And I'm sitting there in the home and there's two African-American girls and there's, a, um, there's Asian girls, there's Middle Eastern girls, there's Hispanic girls and there's white girls and they're all in our house and we're from Belen, New Mexico, population 1700 where I didn't even know the Philippines was a country. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I knew, I knew one black person in our town. There was one, Keith, and he was on my soccer team, and he was it. Can I tell you the vastness of Goldie's life? And, and those kids, by the way, they don't see the color. They don't, they don't know. They don't know how awesomely diverse their church is and how big their life is and how great their impact is and all the different ways that they'll see the world. They don't, Goldie's not going to know that. She's just, she's just going to live in this big life. And I'm sitting there at the birthday party going, this is so stinking cool. This is big. I just want to tell you, that's what the kingdom does. It just makes your life bigger. The one who blesses others, they're abundantly blessed. Those who help others, they're helped. How about 2 Corinthians 9, 7? You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. If you feel pressure, don't give. Hey, if you feel pressure, don't come next week. Take the weekend off. Blame it on the turkey. Blame it on the coma. 
I was still in a turkey coma, pastor. I could, one guy found me after the nine. He goes, pastor, man, I wish I could be there next week. I'm cutting my hair. I just can't. You know, he's just kidding. He's kidding. Okay. For, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, 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 again, for you that have an issue with this, Paul could have stopped there. Hey, God loves a cheerful giver. You need to give. You need to be, you have a good attitude about it. But because God is so good. Look what he does. He throws a promise on it. And God will generously provide all you need. Now, all you need in today's world is not just a roof over your head. All, you, you need options for your life. You need to decide where you're going to send your kids to school. You need to decide where you want to live. You need to decide what college you want to send your children to. You need to decide. These are like, don't, don't just limit this to, well, I, I drank water today and I live under a roof. Well, there's more. That's not greed. It's not greed to take care of your family. And it's not greed to want to take care of your family. So you're going to have all you need. Then you will also have everything uh, excuse me, then you will, have, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Plenty left. Look, it sounds really good and really religious to go, I just, just need what I need. I just, I don't need anything else. And preachers will always go to Proverbs chapter 30 where one of the writers of Proverbs goes, God, don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Just give me what I need. And we find that little verse, and we just, I just want what I just need what I need. I just don't want anything. And we limit people from living in the plenty left over to share with others. Come on up. Uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta wrap it up here. Expect blessing. Expect that as you give into God's house, God's going to do something incredible in your life. God's going to answer prayer. And you know, and I, I never, when I get to this point, I'm, I always wrestle with this. Because I could now go into testimony after testimony after testimony in my own life. But I never, wanted, I never want people to feel like I'm trying to manipulate or use emotion or give to get. I'm not trying to do any of that, but I'm just telling you, let me tell you how I can so confidently and boldly get up here and tell you what I'm telling you. It's because I've seen it over and over and over in my life. That's why I can do this. Not because not I need it. Not because I'm taking any of this money, but because over and over I have seen how God has worked in my life when I've been generous. There's been moments in my life where I've lived very small with closed fists. But by the grace of God, I've come to a place now where I live, I live big with open hands. And God has done Ephesians 3.20 in my life. He's done exceedingly. He's done abundantly. He's done above all. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. I've just, I'm just telling you. And I, I could right now, I could just start sharing stories of my own life and I'm, I'm just not going to. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this because if I didn't preach it, I would be robbing you. Listen to me. I'd be robbing you of the opportunity 
to experience this kind of life. And I could just ignore it and we could just kind of never talk about anything like this and never make people feel uncomfortable and never, I'm telling you, it was, it was these kind of messages and these truths that they changed my life. They did. They, they, they honestly did. And I, and I have to steward this and I have to give it to you. But first, I want you to be prayerful this week. I want you to open your heart this week to what God would lead you to give. And many of you, you're sitting here, you're going, I'm, I'm ready to give. Will you give as the Lord leads you? But I'm telling you, God is preparing something for us. I don't know what yet. I don't know if land is going to open to us. I don't know if a building is going to open. We're in literal, literally daily conversations with our real estate agents. We are constantly on the lookout, constantly on the hunt. We get excited about something, and then we get a no, and then it's okay, next, the next property. And then we, oh, we, get, we just got really excited about one piece of land, then found out there's a lien on the land. And so they go, well, you can buy it, but you could be in years and years of delegations. Well, okay, no, can't do that, so on to the next. And, and, with, and with every no, listen, we're getting closer. Getting closer. And I want you to think about this because in the years to come, five years from now, 10 years from now, three years from now, 20 years from now, you will walk into buildings with your children. You will walk into properties with your grandchildren. And you will say, we, we had a part in this. We had a part in this. We're a part of God's story of Las Vegas. We're a we're a part of God's kingdom story in this city. Pretty cool. Thank you, Jesus.